0: I um, I had a really early start to Father's Day. It began on Thursday for for me. I took my eldest, my firstborn. I've been a dad for 17 years. And uh, we took a little early uh, Father's Day adventure out down uh, the coastline. And I just spent some cool quality time together. We did a bit of a roadie. It was uh, a bit of some photos there, but um, it's great to be back uh, here on Father's Day officially where I hope my other children, looking at you kiddo, will uh, feed me chocolate and just wait on me uh, for the afternoon, right? I'm not seeing an affirmative sign there, but uh, hey, I just want to spend a little bit of time this morning on the day that we recognize earthly fathers on uh, the importance of recognizing and celebrating the goodness of of God, our heavenly Father. And so I've entitled this message, if you're taking notes, Good, Good Father. And I, you can good. guess what song we're going to end with this morning. But, but uh, I've just been thinking a bit about this passage in the book of James, if you've got a Bible, but it'll come up on the screen very quickly. James 1.17, and I've read it in lots of different versions, but I love this. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And I love what Fiona had to say about rediscovering the faithfulness of God, rediscovering the fact that He is trustworthy. And that's what I want to remind us of again this morning, or at least the need for us to be propagating that that kind of message because I believe the world desperately needs to know something of the goodness of God and something of his faithfulness and something of his steadfast love and I think he may want to use you and I to do that turn to the person next to you and just remind them he wants to use you he wants to use you so so important My, my first ever experience in Christian leadership was actually in prison. And it's not as hardcore as it sounds at all, actually. Uh, every time the church that we used to be part of on the North Island, every time there was a fifth Sunday, a team from our church, which I decided to put my hand up and lead, would run services at Rimataka Prison in, uh, in the Hutt Valley. We ran three services a few times a year, two in the remand wing, that's for those who are awaiting trial, and then one for the, for the long-termers. And, and I don't care, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, prisons, they're like hotels, they're so cruisy. You, you ain't ever been inside a prison if you've ever said that because there's just a certain atmosphere that a thousand angry men give off that I've never experienced in a hotel before. But, <laughs> but anyway, and when you go there taking a church service, You get, uh, as an inmate, two privileges on a Sunday. You can either have religious service or go and do exercise, which consists of running around basketball and stuff in an outdoor kind of area, or you can go to church. And so we didn't just get the guys coming to our services who had found the Lord. We got everybody. They they all came along, and there were a couple of rules that we had to uh, abide by. One is that you never asked anyone how they got inside. Just, you just don't go there. Don't, don't ask them that. And then the other thing is don't give them your name. Don't give them your full name because they can try and make contact with you. And it just gets a little awkward. And so I remember the, the very first service, the very first time we'd ever gone in there. And I'm real nervous. And I had to kind of do this, facilitate it. I'd never had detention before. All right. So I'm a little scared. And I'm remembering uh, these rules, you know, about what we were and weren't allowed to do. And, and just as I'm about to start, someone, about 30 inmates, one of the guys at the back stands up and goes, Hey, Wesley Smith, good to see you, bro. I'm like, what? I've been identified. Abort, abort. But uh, it turns out it was a guy from my primary school, which was crazy. Anyway, at the end uh, of the service, I won't tell you what he was in for. Uh, we usually got a chance to talk to these guys before they were uh, moved out of the room again. And sometimes we got to pray with them, which was just a great, a great privilege. And while this is no scientific analysis, we did this for about two years. So it wasn't, it wasn't often, every fifth Sunday, a few times a year. But I discovered a similar pattern with every, uh, every guy that I, I spoke to. And it was this, fatherlessness, a lack of fathers. And and either dad was nowhere to be seen or, or dad was just a source of pain. And and most of them, when you got talking, had some kind of dysfunction when it came to their fathers. And again, this was no professional survey, but I'm sure if the question was asked officially, and actually I think it has, I was reading a, an article just the other day about this, that it would pick up a very similar... Uh, theme that perhaps the root of a lot of society's dysfunction comes down to a lack of fathers and a lack of fatherhood and, and male role models in our lives and I don't have a sociology degree to really talk any more about that but I, I, I do know this here's what I believe that that I, I want to suggest a fatherless generation might be one of the greatest tools of the enemy because, because you know our, our uh, our father-child relationships here on earth, they, I, I think they're supposed to go some ways, and when we're not perfect, but they're to go some ways to reflect the relationship between our lives and Father, our Father in heaven. And we, we do a messy job of that, don't, don't get me wrong, but but the enemy's plan, if you think about it, right from the very beginning was to distort the relationship that we can have with our earthly father by messing and meddling with our, sorry, with our heavenly father by messing with our earthly relationships. And it, it says in, in, in Genesis, and you'll, you'll know the story, that before sin entered the world, God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden, enjoying relationship and this this intimacy and closeness. And then we know that, that sin put an end to that and, and caused this separation from God or for us to move away from Him. And then man was cast out of the garden and, and sin covered the earth. And then, I'm just running through Genesis, there was a flood right with, with Noah. And then God calls Abraham and He says, hey, Abraham, you'll be a father of many nations. And then Israel is, is birthed. And then, and then uh, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses to Israel in order that they be his God because God still longed for this relationship that he couldn't quite have anymore. He says to them, listen, guys, if you love me, you'll, if you obey me, then you'll be a special treasure to me. You'll be like my kingdom of priests. And then if again, if you know the story, the people in response to that, I think it's in the next chapter in Exodus, they, they're like to saying to Moses, man, that God of yours freaks us out and he scares us so we just want you to do the talking to him and leave us out of it look we'll stay over here at a distance Moses you talk to the big scary guy and we'll just do whatever he says and and God is like you want a relationship like that you want a relationship that's just based on on rules and 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 no no connection i'll give you rules and and he gave them so many rules and so many laws, the book of Levit- Leviticus lists some of them. You can't even wear a mixed fabric shirt. Most of us would be guilty of that right now, right? And, and he gave them so many rules. The Ten Commandments were like the, the, the top 10. In fact, if you do a search in the Old Testament, in fact, I did this. So I did a search in the Old Testament and I looked for the word Father and looked at how many times the word Father was mentioned in the Old Testament. And you'll find it in the New King James, mentioned 1,127 times. A lot of times the word Father is mentioned. And I didn't have time to do an exhaustive study of all of those mentions. Of course, the computer just sort of prints it out for me, but, but guess what? I couldn't find in my quick survey of the 1,127 times the word Father is mentioned in the Old Testament, I could not find one mention of the word Father referring to God. Now, I'm sure it is, it is there, it, it is implied, I know that, and I believe there are a couple of mentions of it, but I couldn't find it. So let's say it's like under 1% of the time that the word father is mentioned in the Old Testament. Is it referring to God instead of instead of father, God, it's the God of Abraham. It's the God of Isaac. It's the God of of Jacob. It's all about earthly fathers, but God, the father in the Old Testament, not so obvious. And I think that's just the way that the enemy wanted it. it was lost relationship. It was separation. How many know God had a plan? right he had a plan what was the plan for god so loved the world that he sent his only son and how many know jesus came to restore what was lost what was lost it was that relationship with the Father, not God, the judge, but God, the loving Father, God who was near, God who was wanting to be known. And so I did a search of the word Father in the New Testament. So 1,127 times in the Old Testament, I couldn't find one mention of it referring to Father God. In the New Testament, it's mentioned a little less because there are less pages, right? The Old Testament's big. And the word Father is mentioned 377 times. But listen to this. Out of the 377 times, 250 mentions are references to God of the word Father. And so that jumps from under 1% in the Old Testament to nearly 70% in the New. And suddenly we see this new language of family and relationship and Father God running through the New Testament. God sends His Son so that we can call Him Dad. And we get, all, we get born again into this cosmic family where our Heavenly Father is the creator of, of the universe. It's just an amazing picture in, a, in the Scriptures that in the New Testament, God wants us to relate to Him as our Heavenly Father. And, and, and in the thousands and thousands of years before that, not one time did anyone pray to God as Father. It was always the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac or Jacob. But now in the New Testament, Jesus tells us, hey, you want to know how you should pray? Let me tell you how you should pray. Start with this. Our Heavenly Father. Our Father who art in heaven. It's the first words that He says. Come on, call me Father. Call me Father. In fact, Jesus goes on. I think this is on the screens, Matthew 23, 9. He says, hey, listen, don't call anyone on earth father. For you have one father and he is in heaven. I, I don't know what exactly he's, he's meaning there. But, but when I think about it and in the, in the change in the thousands of years before, I, I think it's, it's something like this. God's like, man, for, for thousands of years, I've got people, people uh, call me every name but father. Refer to me as everything else but Father God. I've heard for thousands of years God must have been thinking people calling everyone else Father but not me. This guy is your dad and, and that guy is your dad. And, and, and I, am, I, can, I can see the, 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 in between the pages of the scripture how frustrating that must have been for our heavenly Father hearing for thousands of years people call each other Father a position which God had been longing to have called of himself. And then he makes a way possible. And now he's saying, come on, who's your daddy? Come on, who's your dad? I'm your father in heaven. And so Jesus came and reconciled men back to their place inside the family of God. Back to a place of relationship with God the Father. It's, it's, it's Father God, not the freaky guy making fire and smoke on top of the mountain, right? It's Father God, not the distant deity who kind of seems a little angry. It's, it's Father God wanting to be known by His kids. And I just think a fatherless generation needs to know that there is a Father who is good, who is incredible and amazing and faithful and trust. And trustworthy. And I want to suggest that reference point for him is Jesus, but it's Christ in you. That will be that reference point. Jesus said in John 14 9, He says, If you've seen me, You've seen the father. The disciples were asking him, come on, Jesus, show us the father. We want to know what he's like. We want to know how he acts. Can you reveal him to us? Can you paint us a picture? And Jesus is like, man, you're looking at a perfect representation of him. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've you've seen the father. The father is in me and I am in the father. Jesus says, I don't speak unless he tells me to. You want to know what the father is like, how he acts How he thinks, look at everything I have done. That is the father's heart. We find that in the person of Jesus. And now we are the light of the world. And we reflect the father's son, right? We reveal the heart of the father who was in the son and is now in us. Yay. This is now our job to reflect him. And if the, the enemy's number one modus operandi is to cause fatherless generations and to cause separation and, and distortion, then listen, that should tell you something about the character and nature of God, that He is the exact opposite, that He wants to bring people together. He wants, he wants to reconcile. He, he wants to bring sons back to fathers and, and dads. We get to model the same thing to our children, right? As hard as that is, and, as, and, and, and as, as imperfect a job as we do, we all get to model the same love to a world that is desperately looking for love in all of the wrong places. And so on Father's Day, let's remember our perfect, good, good Father. We get to reveal the love of the Father to show the world that He is good. He is good. I promised it wouldn't be long this morning because some of us got to get to lunch. So why don't the band come? And we're going we're gonna to end as, res, as a response to Father's Day by just finishing with worship and worshiping our good, good Father. But before we do that, I just want to share a quick story. It's one that I've told before. And so you'll, some of you will know the punchline if you've been here any length of time. I want to tell the story, just a, a real story, a true story about a family in the 1920s in northern England. And this family, they epitomized dysfunction. I mean, they were messed up people. And basically, they were, at the head of that house was a father who was an alcoholic. And he had eight kids. And he would come home after months of working at the sea. He was full of rage and violence towards his wife and his children. And Those eight kids experienced a whole lot of hell from their own dad. And and then uh, one fateful night, this father of eight, he came home and again, he was in a drunken state and he actually trips at the top of a flight of stairs and he falls down the staircase and somewhere on the way down, he breaks his neck and he dies and He never gets to be a proper father to his children. They bury him and his legacy is passed down to those eight children. And then the youngest son of those eight kids, like his brothers, he grows up without a father and he becomes full of resentment and bitterness. And just like his father before him, he grows into an angry and volatile man. He soon too has a family of his own. He has two sons. But life for this father is full of disappointments. Two of those are his own kids who he tells that they're just a disappointment. And he doesn't show any love or affection to them. And just like his dad, he actually dies early as well. He stubs his toe and he doesn't get it checked because of his stubbornness. And it ends up poisoning his foot, which leads to his heart. And he dies of heart failure in his 50s. And his father's buried this father's buried and his legacy is passed down to those two sons and then the youngest son of those two sons if you're following this morning he grows up without his dad and they both these two sons grow out with insecurity and without a sense of identity and you would expect the story to keep rolling on down the family tree as it would you know just the legacy after legacy of repeating the same things and perhaps it wouldn't have if, true story, remember, if it wasn't for what I call a legacy intervention, a divine encounter with a loving heavenly father who is good all the time, who loves these men, these boys. And, and this son, this youngest son has this dramatic encounter, which would change not just his life, but the generations that would then come after him, because he would eventually have a family of his own. Just wait. Another two boys, two sons again, and the youngest son, that's the fourth generation, eventually has his own family, he has four kids, and that dad is standing right in front of you telling you this story. It's my, my family tree, come on, come on. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad of the legacy intervention that took place a generation before me, that my father met a God, experience a God who is good, a God who is trustworthy, and a God who can step in and intervene and pick the pieces up and put people back together again. And now my children are are twice, three times, twice removed from that dysfunction, twice removed from anger and volatility, twice removed from alcohol addiction and verbal abuse and physical abuse because of our good, good father. And hopefully I'm doing an okay job as an earthly dad It's <laughs> pointing them towards their glorious heavenly father so in turn when they have kids, legacy intervention can continue and continue from generation To generation to generation. Would we stand this morning as we just finish, as I said, with worship? He is a good, good father. And listen, this doesn't sound very theological, but it's true. God is in a good mood. He's in a good mood. Why is He in a good mood? Because after waiting for thousands and thousands of years, He finally gets to be called Dad. He finally gets to be called Abba, Father. And we as his kids get to call him that and call on him and know his goodness and experience that in moments like this get to worship him as our good, good father. So as we kind of wrap up Father's Day this morning, why don't we finish by singing? And I don't know the experience you've had with your earthly father or the experience you've had as an earthly dad, but right now we get just to worship our perfect heavenly father. Who is able to take our brokenness, our failure, our failings, our weakness, and help us. Help us to forgive if it's things that have been done to us by our earthly fathers. And help us to put things right if it's the things that we've done to our own earthly kids. He is the answer. God, our Father. God, our Father. Amém.